Hello, and welcome to Potternot, a podcast for new and returning readers with conflicted Harry Potter feelings. I am E, my pronouns are she, they, and I am a reluctant fan. I am Adela, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm a uh, fan. I'm Zoe, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm a jaded fan. (laughs) (laughs) This week, we will dive into the good and the bad of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, chapters 18 through 20, The Weighing of the Wands, The Hungarian Horntail, and The First Task. And also, Rita Skeeter is here. And also, Rita Skeeter is here. And we have thoughts about jkr's uh (laughs) feminism quote unquote um there's like okay so in an average episode of tv there's like an a plot and a b plot there's a plot b plot and c plot in these chapters because they are hefty there's Mm -hmm. a lot happening these chapters are long and like there are so many balls in the air uh, so we've got the tournament, which is like getting ready for the first task, getting ready, getting hyped up for the first task. Um, we've got ongoing friendship problems between Harry, Ron and Hermione, mostly Harry and Ron. And then also like in the background, there's like Harry reaching out to Sirius and there's uh, talk about Karkaroff and there's Rita Skeeter showing up. It just there's a lot. Rita Skeeter might even be her own side plot. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was like, she's not part of, she's definitely not part of mysteries and she's like kind of part of the Triwizard Tournament plot, a plot, but also not. Yeah. She's got her own plot it's, going on. I mean, I'm sure you both have a better perspective on this than I do. It seems like she's not like that important to the plot. She's like mm. one of those things that happens in one of the middle of these books that's like interesting but not ultimately relevant. That's the vibe mm. I'm getting. That is the vibe you should be getting. Yeah. Okay. Um, she is relevant to Harry's emotional well-being or lack thereof, but not to yeah. the plot. Yeah. At least not right now. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about Malfoy. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Malfoy. So, uh, in the in our little Discord chat, I have put pictures because the American Scholastic Edition did use um, like a graphical font for Potter Stinks and support Cedric Diggory, the real Hogwarts champion. It's buttons. fantastic. It's some um, like PowerPoint word art, like it's got with, the like shadows. shadow. Oh yeah, you can imagine them glowing. They like definitely look like they've been designed to do that. Uh, we will, of course, put all of the images that we talk about in the tweets for this episode. Malfoy's choice of insult is so funny all the time. And the, just the way, like, I know he's, I know he's, like, okay, he's a bully and that's bad. But also, he's so bad at it. He's not good at being a bully. <laughs> like, he, he is, Potter stinks. Potter stinks. <laughs> I would like to quote what Zoe wrote in her notes for this chapter, which was to have a nemesis truly is the most sexy thing. <laughs> um, uh, and she's right. Just It comes up in the fandom. Like speaking, we want to talk about fandom stuff and we try to bring it in and some chapters have more of it and some chapters have less of it. And astonishingly, this book just has less of it overall, perhaps because it's actually one of the better written books. But this, much like the ferret moment, which we've talked about ad nauseum, this thing is used in the fandom and in fanfic as 
proof positive that Malfoy has always been in love with Harry. He's always been obsessed with Harry. Why oh, yeah. the fuck else would he be spending countless hours creating badges and distributing them to the school yeah. specifically to piss off Harry? Now, obviously, yeah. there's some like other things at play here, but I just find it mwah, so amazing. I also find it so funny that Malfoy, who has like absolutely does not care about or like the Hufflepuffs, yeah. is like getting at Harry by supporting Cedric, which Harry is not against. Harry is fine with everyone supporting Cedric. It's just yeah. really funny to me that Malfoy's like, the way that I'm going to hurt Harry is by saying, you go, Cedric. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. he wants Harry to be jealous. <laughs> it's just everything about it is great. And later on, the Creevy brothers are shown to be trying to edit the badges. And I to love be nice. This- to be nice to Harry, and instead what they make them say is Potter really stinks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. It's so good. It's one of those moments that's like, oh yeah, these are children. These are yeah. children. Yeah. These are like, 14-year-old children. Um, I remember yeah. being 14. <laughs> I was dumb as hell at 14. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It's great. I just wanted to say how much I really love the fir- the opening of this first chapter yeah. of Harry yeah. and Hermione because you end the last chapter with Harry feeling totally alone, like we talked about with the chapter art and everything, and then you start this chapter with Hermione immediately being like the most supportive possible friend. Yeah. So <laughs> the last Hermione sentence... being like way more like emotionally sensitive than we've seen her be before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, Which will continue. Is- it's not out of character, it's just a character development for her. Mm-hmm. Which is like, she immediately has her finger on what's going on between Harry and Ron and is like, she gets it. Trying to be there for both of them. The last mm-hmm. sentence of the previous chapter so Ron wrenched the hangings shut around his four poster, leaving Harry standing there by the door, staring at the red velvet curtains, now hiding one of the few people he had been sure would believe him. Contrasted to, um, Harry's leaving the portrait hole. Hello, she said, holding up a stack of toast, which she was carrying on a napkin. I brought you this. Want to go for a walk? And then later, to his immense relief, Hermione accepted his story without question. Yeah. Yeah. So just the the complete contrast. But also that Hermione is very, she's not just like supporting Harry. She's also like, I understand what's going on with Ron and I will help you understand what's going on with Ron so that you can mend your relationship if you want to. She's trying to mediate now, whether that's, like, a healthy behavior for her to be developing, maybe not, but... As the mom friend of every friend group I've been in. Yeah, <laughs> she's being the mom friend. Um, she, like, immediately, like, catches on to what this conflict is. Like, yeah. immediately. Like, it's breakfast the next day. And she mentions basically what we talked about last time, right? Um, so not just... Ron's got all these brothers to compete against at home and you're his best friend and you're really famous. He's always shunted to the side whenever people see you, uh, which is kind of what we talked about last time with regards to Ron's visit to the Mirror of Erised, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do feel bad for her in this section because, like, Harry doesn't get it. No. Like, he does not get what she's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And also, like, doesn't value her in the same way that he values Ron. Like, there's yeah. a specific line life was different when you're when Hermione was your best friend or something like that which like 
Like, there are different kinds of best friends. That's true, but it feels like... It feels negative. She's pulling way more weight here than he is. Mm-hmm. Um, they spent a lot more time in the library. And then yeah. also... Um, because she's trying to help him the entire time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's rough. But he does really appreciate her. Yeah. And um, there's a moment where I want to launch Snape directly into the sun. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. they go to potions and Harry's having like one of the worst days of his life, right? He's had to go all these classes and whatever. We'll come back to care of magical creatures. He's about to have a double length class in potions. Mm-hmm. In which he's definitely going to get poisoned. Yes. And he and Malfoy get into a screaming match that like they're going to curse each other. But the curses bounce off of each other and hit. Malfoy's hits Hermione and Harry's hits Goyle. And Goyle is covered in boils. Um, yeah. Which is rough. Malfoy's makes Hermione's front teeth grow. Yeah. Like super long. Super long. Like past her chin, down to her collar. She's trying to hide them with her hands. And Snape... Snape examined Goyle, whose face now resembled something that would have been at home in a book on poisonous fungi. Hospital wing Goyle, Snape said calmly. Malfoy got Hermione, Ron said. Look! He forced Hermione to show Snape her teeth. She was doing her best to hide them with her hands, and this was difficult as they had now grown down past her collar. Um, Snape looked coldly at Hermione and then said, I see no difference. Launch him directly into the sun. Yeah, just like Mm -hmm. absolute villain shit. She is a 14-year-old girl, and this is a 35-year-old man. Ah. I'm like, it doesn't say that she's in pain, but that has got to be, like, horrendously painful. Yeah, it's just, everything about that scene makes me want to just launch him directly um, into the sun. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Into the sun. Goodbye, Snape forever. Too too bad you're no long no longer in yeah. this series. Yeah. We'll just cut Goodbye. him these parts out of the rest of the, the next just three. Have books. him like get stomped on by one of the dragons or something. Like Yeah. No big deal. Um, but there's a moment that where is a fitting ending. It it so is. I one of my favorite book series is, has like one of the worst villains ever, and he gets destroyed basically off screen by a dragon eating him. And I it was like the best thing ever. And I'm yeah, like, that's that pretty should, good. That would be great. That'd be pretty good for Snape, actually. I yeah. I can already foresee how salty I'm gonna get about Snape <laughs> becoming like a main character toward the end mm-hmm. of the series. I can yeah. I can foresee it and I'm I'm gonna be so mad. You're gonna be so mad. Um Hermione and Harry go to the three broomsticks, they go to Hogsmeade. Um and I wanted to shout out this scene because we're gonna talk a little bit about Harry's anxiety in these chapters. Mm-hmm. And there was a really great moment here. Harry felt wonderfully free under the cloak because no one is looking at him, nobody's talking about him. And this is like a thing he's been dealing with basically his whole life, which is exponentially worse right now. But Hermione had been trying to basically set up Ron and Harry in this situation. Yeah, she's like, oh my god, why won't you talk to each other? And Harry figures it out and immediately is like, no, I'm not going to go hang out with Ron. Um, We will at some point come back to the fact that Moody can see through invisibility cloaks. Moody's eye. Yeah, that seems slightly relevant. Brainworm. 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 Just a shout out to Hermione's response to when, after the first task, Ron sort of comes around 
because he sees what Harry is up against, um, which is reasonable. And uh, she just bursts into tears. Yeah. Um, I do think that the version in the movie is actually a little bit better. This is not something that I think is true throughout this book. And I think Adela does not like the movie of this book, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, not, um, not a lot. But there is a moment where after the first task, instead of just this reunion with Ron and Hermione, um, Harry is actually in the common room, finally accepting sort of the cheers and adulation of the crowd in the mm. Gryffindor common room. And Ron comes down the stairs and he's like, what's all this racket? And then he sees Harry and there's this like really tense moment and everybody's like, I'm going to go look at something else and pretend this isn't happening. Cause of course this is, there's like 15 people probably in the count. Like there's just so few people in every house that yeah. of course drama like this would be like, I need to listen, but I'm going to pretend I'm not. Yeah. Which, um, by the way, there should not be that few people in each house. I know. Continue. Of course not. Um, but Ron comes over and he's like, you know, I, I reckon this is really dangerous. And like, somebody's trying to kill you. Yeah. And Harry kind of says the same thing. He's like, oh, it took you long enough. Right. And then they both kind of apologize to each other. But Hermione just turns to Angelina and goes, boys. <laughs> that is better. It's so much better because she spends so much time being mom to these two boys that I much in more enjoy it when she is sister. Yeah. And I think that that's important as we move later in the series, specifically to like the very end of the series. Mm -hmm. Also just like interacting with other people. Yeah. Than them. Yeah. Yeah. She's just like hanging out with Angelina and Katie and. Very good. Um, I do love that a recurring thing in these chapters is that just like everyone is cheating as much as possible. As much as humanly possible. For the tournament. Hagrid doesn't even consider it cheating that he's showing Madame Maxine the dragons, though. Yeah, it's just he's a date. Just like, look it's at these cool date. dragons. <laughs> look at these cool dragons. They're so cool. I love dragons. <laughs> I think that Hagrid's crush on Madame Maxime is adorable, and also Harry's like exasperation with it the is absolute exasperation. Yeah. Um. It literally took me until this reading. To realize that when Hagrid knocks on Madame Maxine's door and says "bon sewer," he means "bonsoir." <laughs> I don't. I I thought it was "bonjour," but um, well, it's, it's either evening, "bonjour" so or "bonsoir." But like, yeah, either way, <laughs> they're both <sighs> incomprehensible. I have never ever understood this until today. I did, and I think it's hilarious. But also, I. I won't go into Hagrid's accent again, but it is... Or Madame Maxime's. It's bad. Hers is bad. This is bad. not... This doesn't make any sense, like, linguistically as a mispronunciation of French. It's not... Like, those sounds aren't that close. Nope. How You can't get it that wrong. But it's, it's funny, so... It's, it's funny, and it. I can't believe that in the year of our Lord 2021... Um, is the first time that I have understood what that meant from this book published <laughs> 21 years ago. Oh my did god. You, did you know it was supposed to be French? Like I had no idea. I have never known what that was supposed to you be. You thought he was ever. just saying bong sewer. Yeah. <laughs> and I took French as a child. So this is not like I don't know what word it could have been. Yeah. I had 
no idea. And today was the first time I was like, bonsoir, bonsoir, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so that's where I am today. Um, while we're on the subject of Hagrid. Uh... His class? <laughs> No, well, sure. Okay, I I just have a I have the class is very funny. Also, his class is hilarious. The Scroots are on a rampage, and uh, the description of the Scroots taking the children for a walk rather than the other way around is yeah point perfect. Everything it's, about uh, it. That's all. <laughs> like not to give praise to the author who we are going to dunk on extensively shout out to her when, editors. We get, when we get <laughs> to yeah, well, shout out the editors and shout out to like. Some of the comedic stuff in here is, yeah. is genuinely pretty good. So when I was reading these chapters today, something turned on in my brain where I had a million huge thoughts about very small moments. Mm -hmm. And one is about Hagrid, and I would like to discuss it if we can. Sure. So there's a moment. Uh, it is on page 258 of the British edition. Harry and Hagrid are talking uh, privately. Which, shout out to Harry for getting out of the scroot job. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> Hagrid, like, immediately says he he believes that Harry didn't put his name in. And he says, one of the things he says is, like, you say it wasn't you, and I believe you. Mm -hmm. And Dumbledore believes you, and all. And that just made me go on a huge tangent in my brain about Hagrid and Dumbledore. Because I realized that Hagrid is so dependent on Dumbledore throughout the entire series for everything for everything for protection yeah. for information about the world around him for opinions for beliefs like his beliefs are shaped around Dumbledore's beliefs right and it's because he latched on to the one adult who showed care for him when he was 13 yeah I mean like literally... when he was 13 and he was expelled his dad had already died he had no family and Dumbledore was like hey you can stay at Hogwarts and he latched on to that and has let it shape his entire like belief yeah like Dumbledore is the reason he has food and shelter and mm -hmm. a job and social community and that was 62 years ago no, was this yeah because it was 60 years in book two no it was 50 years in book two 50 years in book two so it was 52 years ago yeah um, but, oh yeah, the other thing, the, the, ad, the end of that sentence is, I think that Hagrid, I think that Hagrid's belief in Dumbledore is even stronger than Harry's belief in Dumbledore. Oh, he, yeah. Like, he, he has no question ever. And we've talked before about Dumbledore, like, E from the beginning was like, mm, not so sure about if I like yeah. Dumbledore. <laughs> so my question is, do you think that Hagrid is a pawn in Dumbledore's big plan? Or do you think Dumbledore gave him a home out of pure kindness? And my reason why I don't think Dumbledore gave him a home out of pure kindness is because he just, he said, hey, you can stay at the school alone in this house and be, and start working as a groundskeeper. Not, hey, I'm going to find you a nice family that will take care of you. Or, hey, I'll take you in and take care of you. Yeah, which I is think, I feel like Dumbledore doesn't have a great conception of kindness. Like, he does the same thing to Harry, right? Dropping them off exactly. the Dursleys. Like, exactly. This is good for... So I think that this is the difference between nice and kind, right? Like, this is something that yeah. a couple of people were talking about on a different Discord that we're in and on Twitter is the difference between West Coast niceness and East Coast kindness, uh -huh. which is that on the West Coast, they'll say like, oh, that's 
that's a really big mattress. Like, good luck. Like, let me know if you need anything. And on the East Coast, they'll just, like, haul the mattress up the stairs for you, but won't speak to you at all. And, Um, like, yeah, cuss you out about it. Yeah, and be like, like, what the fuck are you doing with such a big mattress? You should (laughs) have gotten some fucking movers. And then we'll still help you up the stairs with them. That's a very funny example to use because that literally happened last weekend when my roommate was moving. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Um, And so I think that there is, Dumbledore is nice. But he is not kind. He will give you the platitude, but he will not do the job. Um, yeah. And I think that that's really important. Think So I think there's two, two possibilities for why Dumbledore, why he chose to do, to, to do what he did when Hagrid was 13. One, he wasn't thinking about it at all and was just like, there's space, you can stay here. Or two, he was thinking, this child is unique and will be useful to me one day so i will keep him close i don't know if dumbledore is that like scheming for lack of a better word like i don't know if he's thinking Mm. that far ahead i think i agree with e only because of the timing tom was a seventh year but the things that happened after his seventh year haven't happened when hagrid is given a job and hagrid wasn't just made gamekeeper with nothing he actually worked under the previous care of magical creatures yes. teacher so i think that yeah. there's more to this than just he could be useful but mm-hmm. i think that dumbledore may have done this anyway and this is my other question is how many students would get expelled maybe hagrid is the first student in a hundred years to get expelled mm-hmm. and given that dumbledore kind of knew what was going on in book two that right like that Hagrid wasn't guilty of this it would make sense to be like okay well the student got expelled for the wrong reasons and I couldn't stop it because there was too much evidence it makes me feel a little bit better if I think of Hagrid being cared for and like living with professor what was his name Kettleburn Kettleburn yeah yeah Mm -hmm. professor Kettleburn like Hagrid was probably his favorite student. So like, I feel like it would be not that far of a stretch for that to happen, which I had never really considered before. I've always thought of Hagrid just like living on his own at age 13, which made me really sad. Yeah. I mean, that's important to not forget because I think the way we've been talking about this, like there's a subtext of like Dumbledore grooming Hagrid. Which I think happened later. Which I think there's an aspect of that. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think that it was intentional on the part of the author to be like, here's an elderly man that I'm going to say is gay, oh. and here's a young man who was in his care. Absolutely. Well, she didn't decide, she didn't know he was gay yet because she just decided that later. I thought she but said also, she was thinking that all along, but she I mean, probably just made that up. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, it's important to remember that JKR loves Dumbledore and he is her favorite character, and she would not write. <laughs> no, she doesn't think Dumbledore's a bad guy. Um, she would not put the negative stereotypes that I'm sure she has about gay men. Yeah, on Dumbledore. Uh, yeah. There's also potentially something to be said about like Hagrid not receiving schooling or like focused care after the age of thirteen because he. And I want to tread really carefully here because I don't have, like, the vocabulary to talk about, like, mental disability. 
Mm-hmm. But, like, the way that he's treated in the story often reflects the way that, like, people on the autism spectrum yeah. or people with other disabilities 100%. are treated. He got schooling after, and the reason of that is the spells that you see him use occasionally. Yeah, we talked things, about this yeah. We yeah. talked about this way back where I have a headcanon that Dumbledore tutored, tutored him Yeah, yeah. after he was done, after he was expelled. Or maybe just maybe just Kettle, Professor Kettleburn did, but yeah, I don't think that he was groomed at age thirteen, and I don't think that he was part of the Dumbledore plan at age thirteen. Until later. I think that happened. Let's call it when Harry was born. So my whole point of this whole big thought is it's just it's just, just a thing I hadn't thought of before. Yeah. But Hagrid's devotion to Dumbledore is so valid in what he experienced yeah Yeah. his lived experience yeah it's one of these things that's like once you like start opening up this character and this relationship like it's a mess in here Mm -hmm. like there's there's like surface level things you can pretty easily notice about the way Hagrid is portrayed but then you start thinking about like god what was his relationship with Dumbledore like for the past 50 years like, mm-hmm. what was that like when he was 13? You know, what what has Dumbledore been, like, thinking of and ulterior motives? Like, I also think that maybe Dumbledore gave him a home because other students who were expelled had families. Had, had families. I mean, yes, that's definitely why he did. I just mean, I think I was specifically meaning, like, why did he put him in a home at Hogwarts yeah. as opposed to letting like especially because hogwarts has probably some bad memories for him now at that point but i mean my my sort of flippant answer would be dumbledore doesn't care about anything outside of hogwarts and doesn't know of any resources (laughs) beyond these castle walls also yeah there's no child um there's no children's aid society in (laughs) the wizarding world yeah uh it in the U.S., it's Children's Protective Services. Yeah, there is none of that in the Wizarding World, and so I'm not sure that there would have been. Yeah. There's no like adoption systems. There's no like mm-hmm. shelters for houseless people. There's no well, like. There may be for werewolves. There might be, but that's a whole <laughs> different thing. Which is interesting mm-hmm. for other reasons. Um, okay, I feel like I've hashed that out enough. I just wanted to share my. <laughs> Thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, no. And they're good thoughts. And I think that especially starting in this book and moving forward, they are extremely important thoughts. Yeah. Um, because your question should definitely be coming back. So then um I want to talk about the actual tournament thing and the summoning charm. Wait, before that, can I just talk about Harry and how much I love him? Oh yes. <laughs> in the, the the first task chapter when he tells Cedric about the dragons. And That's Cedric's such like, why are you helping moment. me? And he's just like... That's such a good It's just fair, isn't it? He's so pure. Yeah. Well, because he knows that the other champions know. He, to him, it is, like, unthinkable for someone to go into that situation. Not on the equal footing, yeah. Yeah, it's... He doesn't even think twice. He's just like, Cedric needs to know. Yeah. And I love that. Also, it, very soon after that, when uh, Moody pulls him aside to cheat and tell him how to get <laughs> uh, through the task, he's, he says, play to your strengths. And Harry says, I haven't got any. <laughs> he says, I haven't got any, said Harry, before he could stop himself. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> poor child. You poor anxious child. Mm-hmm. Also, I didn't realize this before, but Harry's dissociating for the entire day before oh, God, the yeah. tournament. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, speaking of disassociation and anxiety, uh, there's a moment um, in the Weighing of the Wands chapter that uh, both Adela and I particularly loved about his anxiety. So Hermione's like, you have to write to Sirius. And Harry's like, no, he's going to come here and then it's going to be my fault because he's going to get arrested and killed. But Hermione points out that Sirius is going to learn anyway because this is called national news. Yeah, international news. International news. And so he's writing this letter to Sirius and he finishes the letter. Uh, He paused at this point, thinking, he had an urge to say something about the large weight of anxiety that seems to have settled in his chest since last night, but he couldn't think of how to translate this into words, so he simply dipped his quill back into the ink bottle and wrote, Hope you're okay, and Buckbeak. It's a mood. Yeah. God. Just thinking about, like, dissociation, like, the way that the actual task is written, like, he's 100% also dissociating for that entire yep. scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just, like, brain empty. Muscles autopilot. Brain empty only quidditch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you kind of see the build up to it with this anxiety and then you get to the task. Which is extremely relatable. I did that for a lot of tests in college where I was just like so anxious that my brain completely cleared of all conscious thoughts and I went in and I wrote some things down on the paper and then I went out and I had no memory of what was on that paper. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. He has to learn how to do a summoning charm, which he has a block against because of anxiety, in about 24 hours. I'm not sure when he sleeps. Uh, don't worry about it. Well, he, he, he finishes learning at it like 2 uh, at 2 a.m. and then goes to bed. And it, se- it seems like he's, he's too exhausted from that. to So he is actually able to sleep. And then he gets anxious again in the morning when he wakes That's up. True. That's so he true. does get some sleep. He does get some sleep. <laughs> But yeah, it's he and also the other champions, I would say, are probably completely disassociating. Because just because they know what they're up against does not mean that they are prepared in any way, shape, or form. Like, from the descriptions we get from Ron, like, retelling how the other people dealt with it, like, Harry was by far the most, like, competent. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting, the way that the other champions go at this task totally makes sense right yeah so floor tried to put the dragon into a trance but then it snored and her skirt caught on fire uh crumb hit it with a spell in the eye um but unfortunately it trampled some eggs which it wasn't supposed to do and cedric transfigured a rock into a dog to try and make to try and trick the dragon to going after distract it all yeah. of these totally make sense all of these are like normal are, like high yeah. school Harry's does not make sense. Harry's does not make sense at all. And I, I, I genuinely don't know. Let me phrase this without spoiling anything for E. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know why the person who suggested this suggested it, given things that happen. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> are we, we talking really about brainworm? Brainworm. We really need to stop referring to the brainworm because E is eventually going to get suspicious. Listen, I know, I know something's up. but it's so important like if you are rereading along with us try and think in the lens of the brainworm and see how completely fucked this entire book is (laughs) stop saying things (laughs) adela it's it's far too late it's far far too late 
the book version of this first task or the movie version of this first task is ridiculous. And there's an entire chase scene where Harry like leads the dragon all the way through the castle. And there's like a whole thing. And then Harry what? comes back and the dragon's just like elsewhere. What? <laughs> it's very weird. And the dragon just like escapes, I guess, in the movie. <laughs> That's Goodbye. <laughs> Fucks off. That's it's wild. very funny to me. Also, you never see any of the other dragons in the movie. You only see his dragon. That sounds much less intense than the book scene. Yeah, nobody in the, in the movie, nobody in the stands can see what's happening. Yeah, like because Harry's gone. But that's they do a good. I don't know who directed the fourth movie, actually, off the top of my head. But shout out to that director because they do cut back to the audience a few times, and they're just sort of like, "What?" It's what's quiet, and they're like craning what? their neck and being like. Do you, do you know what's going on? Do you know what's going yeah. on? It's very well done in there. Other notes on the dragons, the little tiny dragon models that move. I have never wanted anything more than I wanted a tiny living dragon model when I was a child. I would love to I, have one. I, every single time I read that scene, I was like, I want one. This is the one that I want. Or I would like pick a different one yeah. of the four. What do you think are the differences between species of dragons? Like, is it just like aesthetic or do you think there's no, actually like no, there's there's definitely it's like species it's like um different kinds of dog birds and birds yeah birds are pretty different from each other i feel like birds might be i, I mean is it time to pull out fantastic beasts and where to find them again Absolutely i mean not. i could i'm but... pulling out my fourth harry potter Ill- illustrated edition because it has tons of huge illustrations of dragons in it so i just wanted to read something real quick from the next chapter uh-huh. It's just one sentence. It won't spoil anything. But Harry's going to bed after the first tournament, at, uh, first Triwizard task. Um, before he pulled the curtains of his four-poster shut, Harry set his tiny model of the Hungarian horntail on the table next to his bed, where it yawned, curled up, and closed its eyes. That's the scene. That's yep. the scene that makes me want one. <laughs> extremely cute. Really, Harry thought as he pulled the hangings of his four-poster closed. Hagrid had a point. They were really all right. Really, dragons. My other side note from that chapter is Madame Pomfrey's ex- exasperation oh is so valid. <laughs> Can you imagine being the one nurse in this school? Single nurse. One, <laughs> yeah. One Why nurse. aren't there like two nurses? I'm gonna send some dragons. Oh yeah, we'll post these uh, pictures of the Durgans that Adela has found. Jorgens. Durgans. Um, we get some information about Karkaroff from Sirius. Oh yeah, um, I don't want to. We don't need to go into it. Just I don't want to dig too deep because that does, it's it's a puzzle piece that doesn't go anywhere yet. Just so. a shout out that Harry finally has somebody to talk to, which is nice. Um, that isn't somebody. Yeah, I, re- like, I an really adult like figure. that conversation. His his uncle serious therapy session. His uncle theory, serious therapy, a hundred percent. And also, uh, just that McGonagall cares so much but doesn't understand how to show it. She's so worried mm-hmm. about her boy. Um, just mm-hmm. reminds me of the first book when she sees Harry do a straight dive on a broom outside of her window. <laughs> it's just like, True. how dare you? Also play Quidditch for me. Yeah. <laughs> so that just reminded me of that. Um, yeah. And I think we've covered everything except for two little things that I wanted to just mention to put inside your brain. Uh, there was uh, a Vila okay. confirmation for Floor. Um, the hair inside of her wand, we've mentioned this before, is one of her grandmothers. Excuse um, me, her grandmothers. Grandmother, the name Grigorovich as a wand maker. Just keep that inside of your brain. It's a very, it's a very, it's as Russian as you could possibly make it. Yes. <laughs> um, also, I really like. I just, I just think wand lore is really interesting. I, I just want to know more about it. And also, I love Ollivander a lot. He's great. 
that's all. Oh, also, I had a, a random little question about Ollivander that I just thought about in that chapter. Where was it? Uh, can Can Ollivander channel magic perfectly through any wand that he picks up? Probably not perfectly. I mean, the, the spells that he does here are perfect, but I guess they're simple spells. He's doing just like little like party conjuring. Tricks. I think it's in the way that like a really superior athlete can pick up any sport pretty easily. Yeah. Just he can probably pick up like any wand. so in touch with their body. Yeah. With wands you learn later like there are specific rules about like if you pick if you like a wand will not work for you unless um it chose you or you like Win. fought the person and won the wand from it. Them. It won't work so, as well. Maybe it's more like he's like the way that like really experienced like horse trainers or like people who work with different animals are just like really sensitive to how those creatures behave and can like yeah that's a good metaphor actually who can like get themselves in the good graces of like any creature yeah he can probably get himself in the good graces of any wand also because in this case they're being voluntarily surrendered i wonder if that makes a difference um in the wand lore aspect but also as a wand maker i wonder if ease metaphor is is sort of bang on that he can just like figure out a way through to speak to the wand. Yeah, I feel like it's because he's a wand maker. Because at first I was like, oh, it's because it could make sense that it's like like Harry and Cedric's would be really easy they're because his. He, they're his wands, but then the other two are not his. So um yeah. So wand lore also something to keep inside of uh your brain. Mm-hmm. My brain is full of full of information. <laughs> we will talk about Cho Chang who makes a couple of appearances here. Another day. Just want all the yeah. audience listening to know that we have not forgotten about the issues around Cho Chang. It's just that yep. right now is not the time because we have other things to talk about. Yeah. Uh-huh. She's only here for like two sentences. Yeah. Harry, very big crush on Cho Chang. Um, yeah. Also, probably on Cedric, given the descriptions of Cedric's yep. perfect jawline. Oh, yeah. I ship it. Um, I ship it for real. So there's that. Harry, the most bisexual man. <laughs> uh uh silly girls begging for autographs silly yeah. girls begging for autographs also um related to that is hermione is mom friend i want to sort of put that into yes. the same category yes so there's a whole bucket of the way jkr conceptualizes gender <laughs> yeah uh-huh <laughs> um and what a woman is and is yeah. not so, like, there's a few things, right? There's obviously Rita Skeeter, who, we'll, who we will... We'll come to in just a second. There's, now that we have, like, Crumb and Cedric here to be hot young men, there are a lot of descriptions of, like, gaggles of teen girls. Mm-hmm. Just, like, hangers-on. And one to keep an eye on is Lavender Brown. Yeah, we have Hermione being the mom friend. So we have all of these, like... We have the stereotypes. Stereotypes of femininity. Yeah. And the coolest girls in the books, according to J.K.R. and Harry, are the ones that play Quidditch. They're too cool to chase boys. Right. They're one of the guys. You know? Yeah. I saw a TikTok the other day about J.K.R.'s outdated quote-unquote feminism which i sent to zoe Mm -hmm. so you also saw it but it had spoilers so i didn't send it to (laughs) you 
but uh this is my own interpretation is like or one of the one of the thoughts is that like women can do anything men can do therefore women who do man things are superior um to other women like i've been bothered by the way she writes different girls before but i never thought like it's so obvious now yeah that like when she's talking about really hyper feminine girls she's she doesn't name them most of the time unless it's only Parvati and Lavender which is only because we see them more yeah um and they're in all all Harry's classes but everyone else is a group of girls who are described as giggling as simpering and like they're always supposed to be silly they're supposed to be laughed at they're supposed to be dismissed right it's this really rudimentary feminism that you see in a lot of media where like they're trying to be subversive or like they're trying to be like no look like these women aren't like other girls they're like strong interesting characters but in the end it just reinforces that masculine traits are superior and men Mm -hmm. are superior and women who are not feminine in the way that you associate femininity with like being into makeup or like interested Mm -hmm. in your appearance or being like having crushes being fangirls and there's a moment in this book that you will identify immediately as the takes off glasses and shakes down hair moment for (laughs) a non-girly girl in this series Uh Uh uh-huh yeah which is also a very 90s rom-com trope not just 90s it is it is pervasive in all rom-com from all eras but especially there's a little bit of it about hermione in the reader skeeter thing which is like her article paints hermione as this like very pretty girl that that harry is in love with that's it and it's the it's treated both by the people involved and by the book as an insult to hermione Mm -hmm. yeah because it doesn't say she's smart just says she's pretty. Which, like, it's an insult because it's a mischaracterization of her, but it's also an insult because she's not pretty, and being pretty is a bad thing because you're supposed to only be smart. I don't know. It's a complicated way that she's differentiating these women. I think um, I'm interested to hear about the mom friend stuff. I was I was including Hermione in the uh, JKR's idealized girls. Where mm. she is, because she is not pretty, she is smart. That is her thing. But also, I don't think Harry thinks she's cool. Harry thinks the sporty girls are cool. Um, yeah. So it reminds me of, and this is probably something that was like baked into JKR's psyche as a kid, because this was like the whole rhetoric around women in the 50s and 60s mm. was like the ideal wife. There was a ton of marketing. I don't know about in the UK, but in the US at least towards like how to be the ideal wife mm-hmm. and the ideal wife was to be pretty and have her appearance like immaculate at all times and also smart and like have the house clean and have dinner cooked and everything tidy like anticipate the every need of her family and i see some of that in hermione in like the way in the things that are portrayed as positive about hermione mm. push back a little bit because J.K.R. was born in 65. Okay, she's younger than I thought. I feel like that would be a thing that she would be thinking that she's fighting against by 
making the other the girls who are not like that the cool ones when we see hermione portrayed in a positive light by the narrative and by like harry it's when she's being the mom friend and being sensitive Mm -hmm. and and also when she's being cool like punching malfoy or like doing good comebacks that too So, but I just think but, of like all of the times that her smarts are portrayed as a bad thing, like not a bad thing, but like an annoying thing. And maybe that changes more later on. But I think I have a very different view of the mom friend aspect of Hermione and why it bothers me than Eva's. Sure. For me, the mom friend thing that I have a trouble with is less the sort of like perfect wife who takes care and more that. How am I going to phrase this? Is it like the mature beyond your years kind of thing? It's the mature beyond your years. It's the fact that what the boys do is they go to Hermione to fix things. Yeah, She yeah. fixes their grades. She fixes their problems. She knows the answer. She takes care of their emotional well-being. And later on, she takes care of their physical well-being. I'm thinking like very, very late into the series. And whoever gives her any of that support back. We talked exactly. about this in the, the last book. Yeah. I think that's like a facet of what I was trying to get at with the perfect person, perfect wife thing. Yeah, and I totally see that as well. I think in this case, I'm talking more about emotional labor. Yeah. As it regards the mom friend in a group. And I think that as somebody who has been the mom friend in many groups, and in fact, one of the few women in a group of boys, mom Mm -hmm. friend, Mm -hmm. you are expected to be able to fix everything. You are expected to be, if you are the mom friend, you are not the friend that people lust after, is the other thing. (laughs) Yeah. And so you are a separate category, but you are still woman and you are still very woman because you are mom. And I think that that's sort of the category that Hermione gets pushed into, except for the fact that obviously she and Ron end up together. And so there's a whole different thing there. But But there's also, I mean, there's also mom-girlfriend. Yeah, there is, which is... A whole different thing. And that is also part of what's happening late, late in the series. Yeah. So I think it's less the perfect wife for me and more the idea that, like, I have been where Hermione has stood as the, like, emotional support mom friend for a group of boys. Yeah. And it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant. And I think that in her sort of categorization of women, you have the simpering girls who have no brain. So Lavender and Parvati. Mm -hmm. And you have the sporty girls. You have Cho and Jenny. And Angelina and Alicia and Katie and yeah. But they're they're cool. They're they're just one of the boys, right? Right. They're not like other girls because they are entirely masculine. And Hermione is not like the other girls because she is mom. Yeah. Mm. Because she is already like she is no longer a girl. She is no longer a girl. She takes care of things. She's a woman. She's a woman. And I think that there's even though obviously she's fourteen. Although in the books, she's a year older than the boys, she which is, is also older. interesting. But you talk about like young girls. Um, I was talking to E about this earlier. People who are classically trained as women um, sort of age up faster emotionally because they are expected yeah. to age up faster emotionally. And yeah. so sort of this like mom friend is sort of this other category that I think she puts people into because, um, of course, Molly is also mom friend. Mother. She is also mother. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like... But she is mom friend to her friends. Right. She's just older mom friend. Yeah. Uh I mean, like, whenever we see Hermione doing, like, feminine things, like having a crush... It's a shock. 
it's a shock and it's like a bad thing yeah. about yeah. her. It's like something she gets made fun of. Mm-hmm. So. so speaking of how JKR views women. So Rita Skeeter is here. Um, so we read an article, which we will link in the show notes from the cut from Highly recommend reading the entire thing. And we are also going to link a Twitter thread that has an yeah. article for, it was originally for Slate by Evan Urquhart. We're linking his Twitter thread, which is a response to this article in the cut. Um, so I recommend actually reading both of them. Um, yeah. But the cut article contains some information that like kind of hadn't been brought to light in this particular way before. Yeah. So for some context, because like, who knows when y'all will be listening to this, the cut piece which is very long and very thorough, is an exploration of, like, JKR's history with regards to trans and queer issues. Through the lens of her control over the story. Through the lens of her control over the series. And motivated by her sudden descent into being, like... The most turfy human. Outspokenly. Outspokenly transphobic in 2020. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was, like, quietly transphobic earlier than 2020. Um, you can, the cut kind of covers the... In summer 2020 was when she, like, really got into, like, the social, legal... Yeah, and doubled down on everything that she... Like, it wasn't just about her writing anymore. Yeah. So that article is very long and, and good. I have many thoughts on it, which will not fit fit into this episode. So we're going to focus yeah, on one part. Wanna, but for this, we want to talk about like how it relates to this character, Rita Skeeter, and the books and the fandom. Like we yeah. don't have the like none of us are British. We don't have the expertise to talk about like the, the rise of British turfdom, status of trans rights in the UK. Or Although it's bad Victoria. right now, it's bad right now. But that's not something we're like really qualified to talk about. But the author of this cut article mentioned something that we want to dive into a little more deeply here, which is, um, and I'm just going to quote the article here. In the fourth book, she, JKR, introduces an unscrupulous tabloid journalist named Rita Skeeter, who is described as having heavy makeup and quote unquote mannish hands. This is a good place to, as any to mention that Rowling declined to be interviewed for this story. So I'm now yeah. going to read the descriptions that we get of Rita Skeeter. Yeah. Her hair was set in elaborate and curiously rigid curls that contrasted oddly with her heavy-jawed face. She wore jeweled spectacles. The thick fingers clutching her crocodile-skin handbag ended in two-inch nails, painted crimson. Other things of note, she has heavily penciled eyebrows, surprising strength. And then there's this quote from the book as well. How are you, she said to Dumbledore, holding out one of her large, mannish hands. Yeah, there are multiple references to the size and thickness of her hands. I believe she's also de- uh, described at some point of as having a deep voice. Yeah, um, her it voice might is not be in this chapter, deeper. but I- multiple comments on like the incongruity of her appearance, of like her like femininity and masculinity at odds with each other. So, so if you're a clueless reader. What this looks like is a caricature of a really trashy tabloid journalist who is like, who doesn't know what looks good and is dressing mm-hmm. in just like gaudy. Which is what I read it as for the first 10 years of reading. Yeah, it has a hairstyle that doesn't suit her. Her 
crocodile leather bag or whatever. Just like this really gaudy stereotype that like a lot of people will recognize. The sort of, if you are a clueless reader or you're reading this sort of without context of J.K.R.'s turf issues, um, or if you're reading this at a very young age and you may not understand what's being referenced here, um, another thing that may come into your brain, which is something that I thought from a young age is, and this also fits with the J.K.R.'s things that we were just talking about, which is that Rita Skeeter isn't afraid to go for the kill, journalistically, and that's a masculine trait. Yes. Is that hard-hitting journalists are usually, quote-unquote, usually men. And so this journalist, who is not afraid to, like, go for the throat, has to feel masculine to the reader. Right. She's very aggressive and overbearing and loud. What this actually is is a caricaturized version of what a trans woman might look like in the eyes of someone like JKR. Yeah. Yeah. So like what this reads as in light of JKR's transphobia is a stereotype of a trans woman not passing very well. You you can't see me, the the listener, but I am rolling my eyes to the end of the earth. I And on top of that, uh, like showing her which is interesting because okay so i have like five thoughts exploding in my brain right now um yeah this is a lot it's also important that she is a trashy tabloid journalist who writes lies Mm -hmm. because of how jkr how obsessed jkr is with controlling her narrative Mm mm-hmm and Rita Skeeter does the opposite. Rita Skeeter steals everyone's narratives and like, like makes it her own the thing. kind of person J.K.R. can imagine. Which is a trans woman telling stories about her characters. Right, a trans woman yeah. which, heavy, heavy air quotes, is a man pretending to be a woman. According to J.K.R. and TERFs. The other thought that was exploding at the same time, there were two, not five, but anyway. Um, in the article, it says that J.K.R. said that she had not looked at the fandom on the internet until after she finished the fourth book. Mm-hmm. So it's not directly a response to queer fandom rewritings of things in her books. But it's I think it's perfectly understandable that JKR was like not aware of fandom mm-hmm. in the way that we think of fandom until like midway or toward the end of her writing the series just because of how the internet worked in the 90s yeah yeah much less interconnected also i'd be interested so one of the things that i didn't like in this article was where it says like something about like in 2012 she like lost her billionaire status because she gave so much to charity and then now in 2020 she's liking tweets about pronouns being stupid um and I, those two things are not mutually excuse, exclusive. Yeah. Um, like you can, you can be a horrible person and give a lot of money to charity. Also, the side note, a lot of the money she gave to charity was to the charity that she founded. Yeah, like she's donating to her own charity and her own charity work is like, it's wrapped up in this whole thing about what she thinks about girls and women. Mm-hmm. I feel like looking at the way that she writes that she wrote Rita Skeeter is evidence and obviously her other books that she wrote under a pen name which are even more explicitly transphobic 
like that those things make it obvious that it this is not like suddenly she's transphobic in 2020 no she's having prejudice the whole time and i think the the cut article it's not doing it necessarily as well as it could be but it is no i i think it's very good i think it's very good i just think that one part was like it's just like it wasn't until 2020 that like most people who are not trans noticed knew about it yeah it all comes back to this perception of the world that a lot of these turfs and people in their circles share where like being masculine or being male is desirable like socially desirable and being mm-hmm. feminine or being female is socially undesirable except when trans women exist and then it's men preying on women but then when it's trans men it's like it's 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 a worldview that doesn't make any sense it literally makes no sense it's completely yeah if you try to unravel it it all comes down to this idea that being a man is superior to being a woman such a wild thing for someone who like claims to be a feminist yeah, to it think all, it all comes down <laughs> to this like societal thing where like masculinity is better than femininity like it, it all you can't get away from that in this entire worldview yeah which is why it's so like it's not feminism like it's not it's 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 just trying to attach people like their traits and their appearance and their idea of their own gender to their their birth sex and trying to like determine everything based on that and it's nonsense i do want to sort of circle back to the text um and in this case the illustration so this is we'll again put the pictures of everything which actually includes some some more font stuff um we actually get to see the font of the quick quotes quill that rita skeeter uses also a nice illustration of the of the hungarian horntail yeah really great illustration of the dragons and we will also include some beautiful dragon photos from Adela's illustrated edition. So we have a lot of, a lot of photos that will come with uh, this episode. But chapter 18's chapter art by Mary Grand Prix in the American Scholastic Editions is of Rita Skeeter. Mm-hmm. Curls, jawline, long nails, quick quote quill. So I just want to, I want to say two things about this. First of all, in the movies, Rita Skeeter is played by Miranda Richardson. I Feel free to look up a picture of Miranda Richardson. She does an impeccable job at playing Rita Skeeter. The character, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I do think it's interesting. Casting is always interesting, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about Mary Grand Prix, but this illustration looks to me like the stereotype that a person who is not transphobic would get from description. Like, this looks like it's drawn by someone who is not a turf. It's just the tabloid stereotype it's the tabloid Uh stereotype and so that is actually something that i think is really important is thinking about not just the illustration and who sees the illustration and how that can affect how people are reading something but Mm -hmm. also maybe illustrations pushing back against something i don't know i don't know mary grand prix maybe she's just as much of a turf as jkr i have no idea and i have no desire to look um certainly not right now but it's like this is not unsalvageable right 
this this character. I mean, she even could be a trans woman. Like, not all trans people are perfect. <laughs> like, yeah, there are bad people. Trans people can be bad people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which if this was written by an author who actually had interest and background and knowledge of a di- diverse, like, cast of people that she could yeah. choose from, there could be many trans people in these books. And one of them could be bad, and that would be fine. If but... the author knew what she was doing, and if this wasn't the first and only trans person we saw. Yeah. But instead, it seems to be fan headcanons aside about Tonks. This seems to be the only recognizable caricature of a trans woman in all of the series. Yeah. So it's so frustrating for me because. I am really enjoying rereading this book. I am really enjoying rereading this book. I'm also really enjoying this book. And then you pause for a half a second and you realize how pervasive this shit is in this series. Like, we can't get away from it. Like, we have had no sections in this book, probably in several books, where there hasn't been, like, a major problem. You can also see why fans latched onto something. So something we didn't talk about in these chapters that we really don't have time to because we're coming up on quite a lot of time here, but is Adela was going to mention something about Hermione's uh, advocacy and uh, Yeah, that's still here. And it's it's so bad and we've talked about this sort of like missionary Christian missionary style activism that Hermione has. Yeah. Yeah, so this is only a brief moment in the second chapter that we read in the Hungarian Horn Tale, but um, it's when they're in uh, the three broom- broomsticks and Hermione takes out some spew work that she's working on, S-P-E-W. And Harry says, Hermione, when are you going to give up on this S-P-E-W stuff? Which is really, it, it bothers me a lot. It bothers me a lot that Harry is as dismissive of Hermione's activism as Ron or any and anyone else, because the way I understand Harry's character is not someone who would dismiss and like dis and like a protest against injustice is like exactly in line with Harry's. Yeah, we know from before that Harry cares about this exact issue because of the whole thing with yeah. Dobby. Like Harry going out of Harry going out of his way to make sure Dobby is free. This is JKR writing something out of character because she believes that Harry's perspective on this, the way she's written it, is the correct perspective. She doesn't agree with Hermione. She agrees with the people that she is writing to dismiss Hermione. So because of that, she feels that that is in Harry's uh, character. Does that make sense? Yeah. It totally makes sense. It does. But I will say, like, one of the things that I wanted to mention is that you can see how fans could glom onto different aspects of these books and turn them around. Right. So you could see how creating other trans characters or headcanoning other trans characters makes the fact that Rita Skeeter is this caricature. She could totally be a trans woman. And so some trans women are bad people. Right. But you could yeah. also... Just yeah, like anyone, just like, just like some anybody some is people, bad people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love English. Some anybody is bad people. Um, <laughs> you could also see that fans come to recognize Hermione's activism as bad activism. And so could take Harry... And like on rereads, could take Harry's side of like, when are you going to give up on this bad activism? 
to do yes. better activism. Yeah. Yes. You can totally see how the fandom said like, oh, this is an example of people pushing back against bad activism. And you can see how these really great positive communities launched up around this series that upon reread and upon hindsight and upon knowing more about the author are filled with horrible yeah. things. Oh yeah. Like, so here's, here's how Harry could have re redeemed himself in this moment with one sentence. He could have said, Hermione, when are you going to give up on this SPEW stuff? Let's go and talk to the house elves about it. Yeah. You know, give her a suggestion other than just like, stop. <laughs> yeah. Because like, if you think about this from like, even just a logistics point of view, how are you going to provide support for these people if they are no longer enslaved at this school? Like, what are they going to do next? Are you going to, are you to like provide housing and food and income for them yeah exactly i would like to not dwell on the subject for too long because that is the first chapter that we are reading next time yeah. is the house elf liberation front so we will talk about it again um i do want to like say this one thing which i've been thinking about a lot as i'm thinking about all of the books um is like i have this thing when I'm thinking about the characters and I'm thinking about the problems in the books that are specific to characters. So there's a difference in my mind between character flaws and character problems. Mm -hmm. Character flaws, I love all of Harry's character flaws. Yeah, makes them interesting. They're important to his character. Character problems are where they don't match with the character, with my idea of who the character is. Um, and also they are problematic. And in most cases, when they are problematic in my brain, I'm like, well, that's not the character's fault. That's JKR's fault, which is a really weird thing. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I feel like in this case, it is specifically out of character for Harry because yeah. we have experienced Harry and Dobby. Mm -hmm. And like, we know how Harry has reacted to this specific issue before. Now, if we were, say, to get Harry in character being transphobic, like, that's on the author, right? Yeah. Because of the author's prejudices creeping in. But then you can, like, you can, you can also write prejudiced characters. Yeah. Which is, this is not related to prejudice, but, and I don't want to have a discussion about it right now, yeah, but yeah, I want yeah. to keep this in mind for book six. There's been a lot of discussion among our friends about, in the past, about, and I've been thinking about it a lot, um, about love potions. That's all I'm going to say. But the issue, there is a huge issue with love potions, but in my opinion, it is not the character's fault. It is JKR's fault for thinking love potions are okay. Yeah. That's it. Um, but it's like, I'm just saying, I don't understand how my, why my own brain works this way of being like, I agree with the, I, I think that this character would not do this. Therefore, it's not the character's fault. It's JKR's fault. Therefore, I can continue to love this character, I guess uh, is the point. Like a line to walk between... I don't think this character would do this because I want to love this character. Yeah. Which is like, fine. Like that's, it's not as critical as it could be, but also like you don't have to engage with the media you love critically a hundred percent of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then there's also like, we have textual evidence that this character would not behave this way. There's that. And then there's like, like there's a line to walk, right? Because at some at some point it becomes irresponsible to do that. And I'm yes, it is here. Like I think that's a perfectly my thing that I that this feels different from is like there are a lot of characters in this series that I loved growing up that I no longer 
like as much or I have a lot more critiques of now and that is of their character not yeah. of like things that are out of character that is of things that are for in character example, for them which we were talking about earlier there's Snape who a lot of the fandom loves because of things but that even happen later but like you can't just say it's not in character for Snape to do child abuse yes yes also like also Dumbledore also the Weasleys I had a big a lot of criti critical stuff to say about the Weasleys which I never like I loved them forever but now I have like things thoughts about them there's a one post on Tumblr that's like um uh I think it starts with McGonagall someone's talking about how much they love McGonagall and they're like like McGonagall is the only adult in the entire wizarding world that like never did anything wrong or something and then someone in the next thing is like uh excuse me like McGonagall did this and then like it kind of keeps going and people and they're like suggesting other adults that might have done might have been the best adult yeah. um and like by the end there's really no answer because everyone has flaws and through reading that I was like oh yeah they all like there's all things that I could be critical of yeah in these characters and make me not love them as much like you have to find the line for yourself where it's like at yeah. what point is this character's like canonical textual behavior too much? And in Harry's case, honestly, I mean, I'll have to keep this question in mind as I'm reading the rest of the books. But I think that the thing with Harry dismissing uh, the house elf stuff is the one thing with him that is a huge problem and not in yeah. his character. Yeah. I think all of the other things he does that are, like, not great are in character. But... Yeah. Anything else? <laughs> we have, uh... We've gone down we a rabbit hole. We have feelings. We have a lot of feelings, and they totally make sense. They are reasonable feelings to have. You know, like, send us your feelings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, please, like, we've had a lot of feelings in this episode. Send us your feelings. Yeah. And this is a podcast about messy feelings. That's right. We've already gone too long. I don't want to get into this deeply, but there's a related topic which we could talk about at some point, which is like when people are fans of villain characters, mm. um, which is a common fandom discourse topic. Yeah. Um, and it's it's related to this whole thing of like, where is your personal line of like, I personally will never like Snape because to me, abuse of your position as a teacher and someone who cares for children yeah like i cannot cross that line like maybe someone else doesn't have that line as strongly as i do and can like snape despite that mm -hmm. like that's like it's different for different people where that line is and maybe there are some lines that should be universal <laughs> which is what like yep. which is why this discourse comes around like eternally exactly. because people disagree about what the lines are but yeah so that's that's just part of the whole thing we are going to see a lot more of the activism that um we're sort of talking about uh very very soon um yeah next chapter it looks like remember how hermione was like hey i wonder how fred and george get into the kitchen yeah um i i i was gonna comment on that i was like i've seen the title of the next chapter i'm gonna wait uh-huh yes i cannot wait to find out what Hermione's idea of direct action looks like. So speaking of which, the next chapters we are reading are chapters 21 through 23, The House Elf Liberation Front, The Unexpected Task, and The Yule Ball. Oh, yay. <laughs> so some really interesting chapters. Again, <laughs> kind of a longer chunk. 
uh, and the American edition, it's 363 to 432. Um, I will say that we are crossing the halfway threshold of this very large book. Oh, that's true. Look at us go. Look at us go. Lots of stuff to talk about. I'm excited to have more messy feelings. Yeah, that's what we're here for. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep getting into it. Anyways, as always, I have been E. You can find me on Twitter at C E L one zero E. I have been Adela. You can find me on Twitter at Aredel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore. And I just, or I will be launching a Kickstarter for one of my games, Wisp, which is about Will of the Wisps. And it might be launched by the time this episode comes out, depending on how I'm doing this weekend. I was going to say, if it is, you can just put in a pickup with like the URL and stuff. Hi, this is Adela from the future. Uh, as of today, the day that this comes out, Kickstarter was launched yesterday, February 9th. We have already funded double the original goal, which is amazing. But if it's still something you're interested in, all of the perks are available. You can find that at kickstarter.com slash projects slash Adela slash wisp dash RPG. And it will, it'll also be linked in the show notes and uh, t- retweeted on our Twitter. Thank you. I have been Zoe. You can find me on Twitter at Zoe Topaz, Z-O-E-T-O-P-A-Z. You can buy my book, Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever books are sold. You can find uh, the show on Twitter and Tumblr at Potternot. You can find more music by Morgan Jackson, who did our theme, at wedidthetimewarpagain.bandcamp.com. Thank you for sticking through these messy thoughts and feelings with us yeah i promise we are liking the book we just keep having thoughts mm-hmm. sometimes you just have thoughts <laughs>